G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. Now what are we to learn? That no one, absolutely no one, is so far from God that they can't be reached. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. Now, so far we've looked at the Canaanite woman in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, and why Jesus acts in this strange way. He's testing the disciples. He's trying to move them towards greater understanding of who he is. Let's get into the rest of this message now on Today with Jeff Vines. Let's talk just for a moment. What's happening here? And what on earth are we supposed to learn? Let's deal with those two questions. What's happening here? How can I understand Jesus' response to this woman who's clearly in a lot of pain and suffering? And two, what am I supposed to learn from it? Number one, what's happening? There is a teaching method commonly used by the Jewish rabbis in the first century. It's best referred to as deliberately induced frustration. And when a teacher is trying to communicate something to his followers— And they're not getting it. It's like they need remedial help. It's not getting through to them. Rather than just dispense information, what they will do is create tension in a situation, see how they respond in hopes that they will learn the proper response to a given situation. You and I know that we learn best under moments of tension, not just when someone recites to us what it is we're supposed to experience or believe. I remember, and I've used this example before, when I was in Zimbabwe, I was traveling down to Mishavingo, and we were in a drought. And as I got out into the rural areas, the bush roads, you would see little children with swollen bellies because of hunger. I was 22, 23 years old at the time, and I remember pulling over to the side of the road, and I was struggling with God. God, where are you? How can you be a good God of love, care, and mercy? Look at these kids. They have no food. And you know, that started something in me to try to harmonize what I was seeing in the real world with what I'd been told about God. And that's where I discovered, I actually started doing a lot of research about growing seasons in Zimbabwe and crops and food. And I learned that Zimbabwe has enough food in the country to feed the country 10 times over. But the evil Mugabe regime would take the corn and the maize and whatever they grew in the country and sell it outside the country for foreign exchange. And he would pad his Swiss bank account while his people starved to death. So it's like God said to me, I have provided more than enough to feed this world. It is the corruption of man, the sin of man. And so we learn truths, deep theological truths, when we are forced into situations of great tension. 
The point is, great teachers don't just dispense information, they create situations that force those who do not yet understand what they're trying to teach to come to terms with what they're trying to teach on their own so that it goes deep into your spiritual constitution and it becomes a way of life. Now, what's Jesus doing here? The disciples don't get it. They don't get that God's heart is for all people. See, they've classified people. These are very bad spiritual people. These are medium and these are good. And only the good ones deserve to hear the good news Jesus comes to bring. How many times did Jesus say, I did not come to save the righteous, but the unrighteous. I did not come to heal the well, but I came to make well the sick. Over and over, Jesus tries to give them parables, but they're just not getting it. And now he creates for them a situation in hopes that one of them will cry out. You know, I can see it happening like this. Jesus is there, the woman comes to him, he has compassion, but he says, okay, this is a great time to test the disciples to see if they're learning anything. So he ignores her in hopes that one of the disciples will speak up and say, Jesus, why are you ignoring this woman? Can't you see she's in deep pain? But they don't. They just say, send her away. Jesus says, okay, maybe I'm gonna have to be a little bit more harsh. So he says, well, I really wasn't sent for her kind in hopes that one of the disciples would speak up and say, what do you mean? You, you told us that, you, that, that no one's too far from God that they can't come near. You told us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, you didn't say anything about race or, or some certain people group or someone at the bottom of some spiritual barrel that could never reach the top, but no disciple does. And then... Jesus takes drastic measures. And what, I, what impresses me in Matthew 15 is that Jesus seems to be willing to hurt someone who's already hurting to, to get his message across. This makes this message paramount. It makes it so important that Jesus is willing to risk hurting this woman for the sake of these disciples who are gonna go out and change the world, for their sake of understanding this truth that God's heart is for all people, especially those you think are at the bottom of the spiritual barrel. Now, there is something that happens in the text as well that kind of clears this up because Jesus says, very uh, important part of the, the narrative, Jesus says, I was... Uh, I was not sent except for the house of Israel. Then he says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. When Jesus speaks to the woman this way and to the disciples, he uses the diminutive form of dog and bread. So here's basically what he's saying. You don't see in your translation, but he's basically saying this. And I can see Jesus winking at the woman, saying, just hold on, I need to teach these disciples something. Otherwise, I see her bolting long before we got to this point. So I think somehow, even though we can't see it, that Jesus is working with her to teach them a lesson and she's cooperating. Because he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She responds immediately by using the diminutive form. She picks up on Jesus using that smaller form. In other words, Jesus says, it's not right to take breadcrumbs and throw it to the doggies, the little doggies. Now, she picks up on that and she responds by saying this. She says, yes, Lord, but even the little doggies deserve the little crummies that fall from the table. That's how it's actually written in the original language. So she knows Jesus is softening this for her sake, but at the same time trying to get through to the disciples. Jesus is so impressed of her knowledge and her acceptance of who he is 
that probably goes far beyond even the disciples at this point. And he says, woman, you have great faith. Your faith is so great that I'm able to do this. And your faith is so great, even though I'm talking to you this way, you know, you trust in my goodness and you know, I'm gonna give you what you're asking for. Now that's what's happening. Now, what are we to learn? Three things. Number one, that no one, absolutely no one, is so far from God that they can't be reached. God's heart is for those who we believe is at the bottom of the spiritual barrel. God's heart is for everyone is yours. I mean, is it really? The Republicans, do you have a heart for the Democrats? The Democrats, do you have a heart for the Republicans? Those of you who consider yourself to be Christ followers, do you have a heart for those who are not? Really? So much so that you would pray for them, that you would love them, that you would listen to them. You don't have to agree with them. And you do stand up for what you know to be right and true, yes, but you do it in such a way that is compelling, not repelling. You know, a few years ago when my daughter was in a school here locally in Laverne, it was a Christian school, still is. I remember attending a sports banquet and one of their top sportsmen had the audacity to bring a prostitute as his date to this private Christian school sports banquet. Now you say, how do you know? You know, and everybody in the room knew and you have all these people looking around at her and you know she must have felt like, what is going on here? Where did this guy bring me? So this big, athletic, uh, prideful kind of dude brings this prostitute as his date and they're seated on about the third or fourth row. I'm sure by now she feels out of place. She's learned that this is a Christian organization and you can tell she starts to get nervous and uncomfortable. And then this wise old man Christian man walks onto the platform, onto the podium, and he starts talking. He's supposed to set the tone for the awards banquet, but he sees this as a great opportunity to teach the rest of us about our attitude toward this young prostitute. And it, he starts actually preaching the gospel, and he starts talking about grace and mercy, and he starts reminding all of us that we're all hypocrites, all of us. Every last one of us, none of us lives up to what we say we believe, none of us. That we're all sinners, and just because we're Christ followers now doesn't mean we're still not sinning to some degree. And he reminded us that we are in so desperate need of the mercy and the grace and the love of God that if we really truly believe that, when we meet somebody that we believe is far from God, our heart would not be judgmental, but it would be of love and mercy and grace. And we'd wanna communicate that message in such a compelling way to help those far from God come near. During his speech, I glanced over at this young lady and she had tears in her eyes. And after it was over, the old gentleman went down to speak with her, put his arm around her, and treated her like a child of the king. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus had a hard time getting through the disciples. And quite frankly, I think he would have a hard time getting through to us. God's heart is for all people, is yours. That's what this church is about that one and all are welcomed here because we are all sinners. And one and all, one Savior died for all people. That's what our name is about. There is one Savior, only one, who died for all who will call on the name of the Lord. And we take that message to the world.
And the question is, have we become unapproachable because somehow we think we're more righteous than other people? Have we separated ourselves because somehow we think they're not worthy of us? Number one, no one, absolutely no one, is so far from God that they can't be reached. Now, here's the second truth. Jesus rebukes religious arrogance. He never liked it then, and I'm sure he doesn't like it now. You know, when I first became pastor of One and All Church, I remember uh, a fairly well-built man, I'm not gonna use any names, about my second or third year as pastor here, he would sit in the first service, the nine o'clock service, about halfway up on the right-hand side, and I would see him every morning as I walked back to stage, getting ready to come out and deliver the message. And every week, he would tell me the latest Bible verse he had read or the latest school he had attended online. He loved J.I. Packer and R.C. Sproul. He loved reading theology. And he had told me about how Christ rescued him. He said, I was a narcissist. I was an alcoholic. I was an adulterer. And I finally saw the grace and the mercy of God and how I was living a life of futility. But Jesus turned everything around. I repented, rededicated myself to the cause of Christ. And now I am learning so much. And as year after year went by, I, I started noticing that he was developing what I call the Christian swagger. He started to walk around like he was better than everyone else, head up high, shoulders back, as if to say, I'm smarter than the rest of these Christians. I've taken theology classes. I know my Bible. I've memorized more scripture, and I am living a righteous, holy life. You know, that's a problem because we forget what we were like when we came to Jesus. You know, if we're not careful when we come to him and we know we need forgiveness and we're desperate for his mercy and grace, if we're not careful when we start going to church and worshiping and praising God and reading our Bible, if we're not very careful, somewhere along the line, we'll start thinking we actually deserve to be here. We'll start thinking, hey, we really do deserve this because we're basically good people. We do all the right things and believe all the right theology. So you know what? We're the righteous ones and everybody out there, they're the unrighteous ones. And we can become spiritually arrogant, thinking somehow we deserve all this that God has given to us. Jesus tells us in Matthew 15, he does not like religious arrogance. And he rebukes it time and time again. You know, I've often thought when I read Matthew 15, where's Peter? Where's Peter? You know, Peter's the one who said, Jesus, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. He's the one who said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, when Jesus asked him in Caesarea Philippi. He's the one that said, I'll get out of the boat and I'll walk to you. I know who you are. Where's Peter? Where's the soft-hearted Peter that said, Jesus, go away from me. I'm a sinner. Why is he not defending this Canaanite woman? He used to be her in a real way, unrighteous way. He's been with Jesus maybe a little bit too long now. He's starting to think he deserves to be with Jesus, that he's righteous, that he deserves the grace and mercy and kindness of God. The problem is, over time, over time, you start thinking somehow you're better than everybody else. I'll tell you what we need is a grace awakening, an awakening for you to realize everything you get is a gift. You're hypocritical, and I'm hypocritical to our own personal beliefs. We're trying. I'm not saying that we give up trying. We're trying to be holy. We're reaching for it. We're trying to be conformed to the image of Christ. But you know, if you're honest with yourself, in your heart of hearts, you fall short so often. You need the mercy of grace and the mercy and grace of God. We are all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God.
Dallas Willard says, only if we believe with our whole being in the equality of the rich and poor, and I'm assuming he's speaking both spiritually and physically, only if we believe in the equality of the rich and poor, spiritually, physically, before God, can we walk in their midst as Jesus did, unaffected in our personal relation by distinction. Do you hear what he's saying? Only when you truly believe that you're a sinner saved by grace and you need his mercy every day, will you be able to walk in the midst of sinners because you know you're one of them. And you'll do it in a way that doesn't repel, but that compels. Third and finally, okay, one final lesson. Compassion is the key that opens the door to life change. Okay, so we've said, let's make sure. We've said, number one, no one, absolutely no one, is so far from God that they can't be reached. Two, Jesus rebukes religious arrogance. And three, compassion is the key that opens the door to life change. One of my favorite stories, two of my favorite stories. First, Mother Teresa, we've mentioned this many times, but it's so compelling because she was asked to deliver the commencement address at Harvard graduation in the, late, in the early 90s. So here's this old, white, wrinkled Albanian woman steps up to the microphone to, live, to deliver the graduation speech. And she chose as her topic abstinence. So she's telling future generations that sex is reserved between a man and a woman in the act of marriage. Do you know that they booed her? How do you boo Mother Teresa? They actually booed Mother Teresa. And at that point, something very interesting happened. Some of the people who knew Mother Teresa and knew that she was visiting from Calcutta had gathered some of the children that she had ministered to in Calcutta and had brought them to Boston to surprise her. And they hid around the columns waiting for Mother Teresa to complete her speech, at which point they would run out and greet her, knowing that it would just make her day. When the booing started, somehow whoever was in charge of these festivities thought the speech was over and the children all ran out. Mother Teresa saw them, started weeping, recognized them, got down on one knee and all the little children gathered around her, at which point the Harvard graduates gave her a standing ovation. And then they were quietened as they listened to the rest of her speech. Why? Because they had seen her hands. When people see our hands and how we truly do love those who are less fortunate, how we truly do love those who are far from God, only through compassion will it unlock the door in which we can walk the gospel through. Compassion is the key. Jesus knew that. Of all the works and miracles Jesus performed, primarily it was to meet the needs of those who were suffering in some way. He did it not as an end result, but as the way, as the means by which the gospel would go through a door that had been opened through a powerful act of compassion. That's us. That's us. You know, for a long time now, we have spoken at One and All Church about our corporate activity of benevolence. We have a care center. Yes, we do, and I know many people volunteer, and I'm grateful for that care center and the thousands of families that it's helped during the time of need. But can I tell you something? The care center is a good and proper thing. But this vision that God has given us, while corporate events are good, it will never come to fruition until we take it upon ourselves as the individual. That we 
are intentional about stepping into the everyday doors of compassion, little acts of compassion that we can participate in every single day to help somebody far from God come near, little things that everybody can do like writing a little message on the back of a receipt when you have a coffee or when you go to dinner. I've said this numerous times because it's effective. Just saying, may God bless you, Jeff. I don't put my name, obviously you put yours. May God bless you. Or I'd like to invite you to our church. Or I'd like you to know that I'm praying for you. Don't be confrontive, leave them a message. And the next time you walk in, and it may be 20 times later or 50 times later, but when they know you're showing compassion like that without confrontation, then when they do have a great need, you're gonna be the person they come to. And it opens the door for the gospel to enter in. How hard is that to just leave a message or a note? Now, if you're gonna do that, you're gonna need, need to leave a pretty good tip. I mean, if, you, if, you leave, if you're cheap, <laughs> they're not gonna really care how much you're praying for them. Show them, be gratuitously good. And let them know that you care and you're compassionate. I have a friend who prints up these little cards with a little message of hope on them and then always drops them. Wherever he goes, he drops a card. Again, it's non-confrontational, but it's a card that just lets you know, I'm praying for you, God is good, and I'm here for you. But the thing we call the one life, and it means that everyone in our church is involved, is investing in one life at a time to bring somebody far from God near to God. That will be inconvenient, it will take some effort, but we know that this is what the gospel is about. It's about the people who've received a staggering measure of grace, communicating that staggering measure of grace and mercy to a world that is so desperately in need of it. Right now, it is true that we may be in a season where there's a great falling away. It may be that there are many who get depressed and despondent and wonder where God is and walk away from their faith. But let me tell you something. When the world gets into the present condition that it's in, there's also a, a great amount of people who will be searching for hope and truth because they'll realize I'm not gonna find it here. And we position ourselves through compassion and acts of mercy in such a way as to be the person that's at the right place at the right time when there's someone whose path we come across who we frequent that has a question about eternity, that we make ourselves available, that we're there, they know we're there, we're there at the right place at the right time, and we can walk through the door with the gospel and bring somebody far from God near to God. This is who we are. And when I think of what Jesus does in Matthew 15, where he is willing to further injure, the possibility of further injuring someone that he loves so desperately in order to communicate a message to the disciples, I have to believe this message is paramount. Please don't separate and cancel out people who aren't like you. Please, please don't get sucked into this canceling and shaming culture. Please don't start thinking somehow that you're better than someone who doesn't believe like you do or do the things you do exactly the way you think they ought to be done. Please don't do that. Please be comfortable walking in the midst of sinners, realizing that you're one too. But as you walk, walk with a purpose to model what the kingdom of God is like. Not what we said, not to assimilate into culture, but not to isolate but to permeate it, to be salt and light, to be so distinct, 
distinctly the people of God, that people far from God would look at your life and want to come near. Matthew 15 teaches us, no matter who they are, no one so far from God, they can't be reached. And that Jesus rebukes spiritual or religious arrogance. And that compassion is the way, it is a door. It is the means by which we're gonna bring people far from God near to God. If you will move toward that, if you will move toward intentionality when it comes to encouragement and compassion in the little day-to-day details of your life, and if you will move toward having a one life that you invest in so that you're at the right place at the right time to give them the right word at the right time to bring them into the kingdom, if you will do those things that I think Jesus would smile and say, you get it. You have moved now away from arrogance into grace and mercy, and I can use you to change the world. Father, thank you for the power of Matthew 15. And I would pray that as we move toward evangelism, as we move toward our one life, as we move toward an understanding that we're all sinners in need of grace and mercy, and we're no better than anyone else. You have loved us, and as you have loved us, you love all people, for all have been created in the image of God. Help us to be used by you. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. We've been looking at Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, where Jesus acts in an odd way, but it's not for the benefit of the Canaanite woman in the passage. It's more to test the disciples and to teach us today that no one is too far from God to come back to close relationship with Him. Join us again next time for another message in this series, helping us move closer to God. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.